This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Tanya Bailey, and welcome to Arts, Artists, and Advocates, a podcast-based broadcast where you can find more content on demand at lccconnect.com. Do that today. Arts, Artists, and Advocates is a series of conversations and performances that explore diversity, equity, and inclusion through the arts and activism. Uh, We are also highlighting the work of people on our campus and in our amazing community that's making a difference. Activist Rosa Parks once said, I had no idea that history was being made. I just was tired of giving up. In 1948, Mahatma Gandhi began his final fast. Like many other advocates for human rights, both Parks and Gandhi used their culture, their skills and knowledge to lift others, often the voiceless, and they used their activism. Well, today on Arts, Artists, and Advocates, we are proud to feature Ozzy Rivera as our special guest, who embodies the spirit of legends like Rosa Parks and Gandhi, and and many, many others who often influence communities through their advocacy and activism. Activist Walt Whitman once said, this is what you shall do, love the earth and sun and the animals, despite riches, give aims to everyone that asks, Stand up for the stupid and crazy. Devote your income and labor to others. Hate tyrants. Argue not concerning God or have practices and indulgence toward the people. Take off your hat to nothing known or unknown or to any man or number of men. Go freely with powerful, uneducated persons and with the young and with mothers of families. Read these leaves in the open air every season of every year of your life. Re-examine all that you've been told at your school, your church, or in a book. But dismiss whatever insults your own soul and your own very flesh has been given through a poem and through the richest fluencies, not only in its words, but in the silent lines of the lips and faces between the lashes of your eyes and every motion and joint of your body. In essence, Walt was saying, give it your all. And that is the importance of advocacy. It's our feature on today's show and our topic. And who else to help talk about this than none other than Ozzy Rivera. Please help me welcome Ozzy to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, thank you very much. I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Listen, I want our listeners to know who you are, where you're from, and how does your background affect the work that you do? Tell us about you, Ozzy. Uh, Well, my name is... uh, Osvaldo Ozzy Rivera. Uh, my legal name is Osvaldo Rivera, but uh, mm-hmm. most folks don't know me as uh, Osvaldo, just know me as Ozzy. <laughs> I'm a retired, um, I currently still teach, but I'm a retired educator and community uh, organization head. I've run a number of organizations over my career, yes. uh, human service and cultural arts organization, but currently teaching uh, a class 
uh, as a lecturer at the University of Michigan School of Social Work. And I've been teaching at Wayne State University for both African American Studies and the Center for Latino Studies, of course, on the history and culture of Afro-Latinos in the United States. Um, and so I grew yes. up, um, I was born in Puerto Rico, but grew up in Southwest Detroit and considered that my home, basically. Yeah. Lifelong Detroiter. <laughs> We've got some Detroit listeners out there as well. Uh, so shout out to Detroit and shout out to you and all of our educators, teachers, faculty members, those that have been um, educating in the classroom and in the community. I want to give thank a big you. shout out to you and thank you for all the minds that you have changed and influenced for the greater. Thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your background. I know um, that you have some favorite heroes and sheroes. Uh, and so I want to read a quote uh, from yeah. one of uh, the individuals that's a, an educator, feminist, civil rights leader, uh, and even a, a former a, uh, SPIRA, which is the Puerto Rican Forum. Um, I, I want to read a quote and get your reaction, okay? Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, it says yeah. this, somehow I learned that I belonged with my people and that I had a responsibility to contribute to them. I will participate in changing the situations of injustice and inequality that I encounter because they deny people their rights and destroy their potential. Now, who said that? That was Dr. Antonia Pantoja, Yay. Um, educator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and tell me about what this quote, yeah, hear, hear the applause from the audience. Um, tell us what, about this quote. What does it say to you, and what does it say about activism? Well, um, I mean, a little bit about Antonia Pantoja. She lived her life according to this uh, Puerto Rican woman that migrated to the uh, the New York uh, right around the mid '40s, and who really was a lifetime organizer. Often played behind the scenes mm. in developing leadership first youth, and then later on. Uh, politics. She was a social work educator. Uh, she founded a number of organizations. So when I hear that quote, I'm really mm -hmm. well aware of her history and the fact that she was persistent. She was long-term. She had a long-term vision. And the most important thing a lot of people don't know about her and something that I think is very important is that she literally trained hundreds, if not thousands of activists, some wow. who've gone on who become politicians, hmm. uh, who become uh, actors in film, like Jimmy Smith. Some of us who are of that age remember Jimmy Smith, yes. the current head of the American Civil Liberties uh, Union. Uh, Antonio Romero is one of the young people she trained back in the 60s and 70s through her organization. So she left this hmm. legacy within not only the Puerto Rican community, but through many other communities, African-American and yes. Latino, um, through that persistent, long-range-viewed uh, and, and background work. And so to me, that's important because sometimes you're, you have to be about institution building, hmm. not just the first person in front. I love that. You have to be about institution building, not just being the leader out in front. Clearly, she was one of your biggest uh, influencers. Uh, but talk about uh, some of your other biggest influencers and, and why they're important to you and the work that you do. Well, I kind of growing up, I, I really, um, I was a child of the 60s towards the tail end. So 
I, I, I saw people that I knew in my community and even just on TV who were really active. So I was an avid reader mm. and I grew up reading a lot about Malcolm X, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, got to read about the Young Lords and actually uh, later on became involved with the Young Lords. And they were a kind of militant group out of New York uh uh, primarily Puerto Ricans, but not exclusively. And some of them ended up becoming, uh, they were young people themselves, and they became professors and uh, newspaper columnists wow. and media personalities and elected officials. So, um, kind and some of them were actually trained by Antonia Pantoa in her <laughs> youth group. So there's a continuity there. Yes. And so I didn't know it, you know, as I as I got older and knew got to study a little bit more about our history, uh, I realized that. And so uh, it was very grounded in terms of community work. And then Malcolm X, I mean, hmm. uh, I mean he just had an impact on a, a lot of people. When I remember I was like about 16 years old reading the autobiography. Yeah, and I remember, one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> yeah, Alex Haley, I remember Malcolm X who had gone through these transitions and went to Alex Haley, who was the one that helped him put that book together and said, can I rewrite the book? And no, he said, no, I mean, we want people to see how you transform yourself. And that was the power of the book. Alex Haley was correct. I think the power of transformation Hmm. that Malcolm X showed early on um, really uh, helped me to kind of develop a perspective of my own life. I love that. The power of uh, transformation and, and all of that came through these amazing influencers. You're calling out some big names, not only Malcolm X, but Alex Haley. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes we just have to look in our own backyards and sometimes yeah. it, uh, look right in a book uh, and look at yeah. authors, uh, known and unknown, to find that yeah. inspiration. And I think that's so important when it comes to talking about advocacy and activists. And I'm appreciating all the information you're sharing. I'm loving this conversation. Uh, I have a I have a, some, something I do with all of my guests, and I'm hoping that you will join in on it. I call it a game. Okay. <laughs> Brace yeah. yourself. It's called a game. You can hear the game music coming on now. Um, and it's called If. So I'm going to okay. throw out uh, a phrase or part of a question, and I want you uh, to respond to it. But I'll always start off with the word if. Are you ready? Yes. Let's play the game if. Okay. If diversity was a food or a cereal, what would it be for you? I would have to say sancocho, which is a Caribbean stew mm. that blends different elements together, um, and it, it's, um, <laughs> it's uh, and, and it uses a lot of vegetables, the rooted uh, tubers that you find in Latin America and the Caribbean. But you add chicken to it, you can add seafood to it. So in some ways, it's a variation of Louisiana gumbo. Ooh, uh, I was going to ask, stew. is it like gumbo? Yeah, it, 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 in the uh, slight exception, it's heavy on the root vegetables. So, uh, platanos, jautia, juca. So, but it's based, it, aside from those ingredients, it's some of the same elements. When I was growing up, my mother would put pig's feet. Or ham, uh, you <laughs> now know, you're talking my mother's or, language right now. <laughs> yeah. And so, and that is, I mean, I grew up eating that and uh, you threw everything together and developed this rich stew sometimes it's chicken sometimes it's seafood um and so it's 
that blend of different elements to create something unique. And that is diversity. Uh, it is totally a, a variety of different uh, elements and, and different flavors. And that's what we as people bring right to the table every yeah. t- every place we go. We bring that variety. Great job on that. Okay, yeah. here's another one. <laughs> if equity was an animal, what would it be? <laughs> well, for me personally, uh, the turtle. Mm, the turtle. Tell us and why. You know why? Um, I always think of the Aesop fable, the turtle and the hare, mm-hmm. and how the turtle had all the speed, mm. all the glamour, but, I mean, the uh, rabbit did, Yeah, right? Yeah, the hare, uh-huh. Yeah, the, the, the hare did. Uh, but at the end, the turtle, through his persistence, or mm. her persistence, still won out. And it's that long-term view of, of just changing things that you just got to be persistent. It mm. doesn't have to be glamorous, but you got to keep steady and not take the naps that the hair did. I love that. Great answer. You hear the pause. We're all shouting over here <laughs> because a lot of times okay. people get, get equity uh, confused with equality of being the same, yeah. but, but it is, yeah. it is uh, not a fast pace. It is a journey. Great answer. Okay. Yeah. I got, I got uh, two more for you. If inclusion yeah was a song, and I know you're an artist, if inclusion was a song, what would it sound like or what would the lyrics be? Well, I have two answers for that. Okay. And I'm a band leader, and actually we play both of these songs purposely. Hmm. Uh, and, and so they're both Latin Caribbean, Puerto Rican, um, out of the salsa movement, but very important. Agua Nile was the song that was done by Willie Colon, Hector Laveau back in the late 60s, part of the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. But it's actually, Aguanela is an Afro-Cuban chant that was updated with the big brass sound, the big band sound of salsa. And it's really, uh, it speaks to the Afro-Cuban uh, Santeria traditions and, and it mm-hmm. demystifies it. And it became a commercial hit. It was redone wow. by none other than Mark Anthony for a movie about 10 years ago. I love Mark Anthony. (laughs) Yeah. And so it, it, it starts off with drumming. It, it talks about, uh, its influence on, on us as Puerto Rican and uh, and Cuban peoples. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, uh, my, I usually start off my band set, uh, when do concerts with, it's called indestructible, spelled Mm -hmm. indestructible. But it was written by uh, Ray Barreto, great, great uh, percussionist. And it was about being indestructible. If you listen to the lyrics, and it's both of these tunes are really great dancing tunes. And it talks about building yourself, rebuilding yourself spiritually, culturally, and physically. I love it. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Audience is going wild. <laughs> okay, here's the final one in our game called If. If you could change anything in the world, anything in the world at all, using diversity, equity, inclusion as your tool, what would it be? Uh, It's really, our current politics are frightening. Mm -hmm. I think there's a growth towards fascism and people don't use that term, but really, I think if you look at some of the indicators, so in some ways we have to sharpen our tools and build more coalitions because it, we would have to unite with folks who may not understand the full uh, realm of diversity, equity uh, discussions. In mm-hmm. fact, there's an open attack on race, 
That is you correct. Know, that or, is correct. Yeah, in theory. And but but basically, it's to undermine our true understanding of our history. And in in some ways, we can't do DEI work if we don't tackle really in a frontal manner this growth towards fascism. It has the potential to undermine everything we're doing. Well said. Applause, applause, applause. Thank you for playing the game If right here on Arts, Artists, and Advocates. So in this time that we have remaining, I want for you to define for our audience what activism means to you. That's a hard one. Uh, Yeah, because my definition has changed over the years. But as I get older, and and I think I've appreciated through the mentorship of uh, some of the elders, is it can mean different things to different people. It basically in the sense that what are the strengths and the gifts that each of us have mm. that we can bring to the table for justice. That's good. And so in, in some, uh, and, and equity and to fight against oppressive conditions. So for some people, it may be if you're a minister or a church-going person, using that as a way to to tackle the ills of society. If you're a musician, like I am, I use culture quite a bit Mm. uh, in in telling the story. I'm also a professor, so I tell stories uh, in order to uh, bring alive uh, the lessons or the needs to move forward. You know, as I mentioned, I teach two classes, and I tell stories, uh, all with an eye towards social justice. Uh, There are some young people who are great organizers or uh, mobilizers, I mean, in my youth, I mobilized and I organized and started up a, uh, a number of organizations that uh, lasted for decades in, in the question of institution building. At this stage in my life, I'm retired. I don't have the kind of stamina to do that. So I've been asking myself literally, so what can I contribute? And as an elder, <laughs> uh, a lot of what I'm doing, uh, contributing is is by telling these stories and uh, hopefully contributing to the training of the next generation. So each one of us has a skill. And if we have a view towards making things right, how can we do that in our own life? That could be as simple as organizing family members. Mm. I had the benefit when I was younger of having a bunch of cousins who were within a relatively close age bracket Mm -hmm. uh, who were active and we supported each other, but we did it in terms of our activism uh, by, uh, but through the family mechanism, Hmm. Uh, we were in that position. Other people may not. So, you know, we shouldn't have, uh, I don't believe we should have a set definition of what activism is because we need all hands on board and we need multiple approaches. Listening audience, did you hear that? We need you. We need everybody to be involved. And using the skill sets that you bring uh, with you every day, it does matter. I appreciate what a rich definition of activism. Activism. Uh, I appreciate that so much. I want to ask you uh, to tell our audience about current projects that you're working on right now and how can listeners get involved? Well, as I kind of alluded to in my earlier response, uh, as a retired individual, and, I, and for about 10 years, I had some health challenges, but not so much right now. I've kind of scaled back in my really upfront mm-hmm. kind of organizing approach. I don't have an online or social media presence that much. So it's it's really been through my cultural work, mm-hmm. and then COVID hit us, you oh know. My, so I have yeah. to, yeah. So my 
band uh, and my folk, I have a Puerto Rican drum and dance troupe nice. uh, ensemble. Uh, that was one of the main ways that I would do activism. So when COVID really started hitting, I had to cancel about 15, 16 oh my uh, performances within a four, four to five month period. So it's kind of clipped my wings a little bit. So what I'm doing right now is teaching, and I write a, a regular column for a community newspaper called El Central in, in Southwest Detroit, which really doesn't have an online presence. But it's about the oral hit, uh, the historic, the history of the Southwest Detroit Latino community. So I've written maybe thirty some columns, and kind of slowly but surely, kind of pulling uh, an oral history, your written history of the activism of Southwest Detroit. That is incredible. You said that you've retired, but I think all of my listeners will agree there's nothing retired about you. <laughs> and and to do that work in the classroom, I believe that change begins in the classroom. And so you're doing yeah. it. And I, I want our listeners to go and search you on YouTube and find uh, find some of your music and where your performances have just impacted audiences. It is amazing. I'm just going to tease that out there uh, and let others uh, go do the search and find. I, I want before, you, before we uh, end today, uh, we always talk about um, a segment that I call Getting Comfortable with uncomfortable topics. Uh, and so yeah. for this, I want to talk about uh, race with you. And maybe you can yeah. share um, how you identify yourself or your racial identity. Um, and what's your earliest recollection of your identity? Well, I, you know, I, first of all, ethnically or nationality-wise, I'm Puerto Rican. I was born on the island of Puerto Rico, but raised in Southwest Detroit. Very early on in my grade school level, I, I knew... Though I'm very light-skinned and often uh, <laughs> could pass uh, for white, I uh, consider myself a multiracial Afro-Latino. That's the culture I was brought in mm-hmm. on both sides of my family. The, uh, I usually, me and my siblings were usually the lightest ones in the whole, whenever we got to mingle with other families, particularly when we would go to Puerto Rico, and that was noticeable. So uh, and so when you're surrounded by, by your father and your uncles mm. and your aunts who and cousins who are much darker than you, you, you become aware of that. And, you know, um, sad to say, uh, the, the process of a lot of times before the Black Power Movement, the Latino Awareness mm-hmm. Movement, uh, you know, a lot of times people would prefer to the lighter skin folks, right? Yes. In, in their family. Yes. I mean, we find that right now, both in the Latino community, and I know that uh, talking to my African American friends in the African American. I can community, attest to it. That I leg- can attest. <laughs> and it's that legacy of colorism. So being the lightest one, uh, I, it was often brought up to my attention. Oh, you got look at your skin. You're fair. You got green eyes. Mm-hmm. And be and this being said in front of my cousins who they weren't, you know, yeah. and, and I always felt awkward with that because, uh, you know, sat, glad to say my father and my mother were very proud hmm. and, and my uncles of their heritage. But when I would encounter other family members that would bring that to my attention, ouch. And then yes. I also saw how, um, cousins and uncles and even my own father would get treated differently than me. Hmm. Just because of their skin color, so I uh, race and that issue uh, was very prominent in my youth. I grew up in a multi-ethnic community, primarily 
Mexican and, and then in my high school years, almost evenly Mexican, African-American, interesting enough, African, Native American. So um, it was really a multiracial, multi-ethnic community mm-hmm. and folks celebrated and both with the Mexican-American community and the Native American community, I saw the celebrations of the indigenous peace mm. and the culture. And, yes. uh, and so I was surrounded by that. And so earlier on, you know, I was I was aware of it. And I was a child of the 60s when you had <laughs> uh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm yes. X, and stuff like that. So you become conscious right away. But I always was aware of my, I don't want to say privilege necessarily, but knowing that I could get away with certain things because of the way I looked. And that is important. I, I ask this question to every uh, conversation that we have, regardless of our guests, uh, because I want people to be thinking about where you come from and how do yeah. you identify yourself, because that's going to influence how you connect with others, what you share, and, and actually how you change the world. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I appreciate you, you sharing that with us. Listen, our time is just about up, believe it or not, but I do want you uh, to answer one final question. And if you can, share how listeners uh, can catch up with you. Uh, and maybe want to share some contact information. Uh, what mark? We talk about the importance of activism today, and you shared some rich information. We talked about the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and also racial identity and more. Uh, but what mark do you want to leave on the world uh, as it relates to DEI? And uh, how do you want to do that through your activism and efforts? Uh, uh, Throughout my life, I've looked at the reassertion and reaffirmation of cultural pride as an empowering tool because Mm. so much, so often our cultures and our history has been denigrated. So I'm hoping that I leave that that impact that I've helped to educate others and, and get them on. A number of my former students are actually doing this research as we speak and then leadership development um Hmm. uh, i've run youth centers in the past run agencies in the past and so i'm hoping if there's a legacy or contribution is that um and i believe you're doing that um my uh my saying all often is that we have to leave a mark and not a stain and i want the audience to to hear me say loudly that ozzy rivera you are definitely leaving a mark and not a stain thank you you so much for being a guest here on arts artists and advocates you have been amazing and we can't wait to learn more about you you can follow up on the website to learn more at lccconnect.com but also i want to thank our listening audience for tuning in and leaning in to Arts, Artists, and Advocates, a podcast-based program designed just for you. Uh, We are focusing on a series of conversations and performances that explore diversity, equity, and inclusion through the lens of arts and activism. We're also highlighting the work of people like Ozzy, as you just heard, in our community who's making a difference. I'm your host, Dr. Tanya Bailey, reminding you that you matter. We'll see you next time. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's Business and Community Institute provides businesses with customized, synergistic trainings that realize logistical opportunity. 
Learn more about the future of business today at lcc.edu bci. Hey, America, we need to have a little talk. We've got more food in our country than we know what to do with. Food at the grocery store and food in the vending machines, fast food, health food, and seafood. We've got so much food that anything people don't buy, we just throw out. Yet 17 million kids in America struggle with hunger. That ain't right. Luckily, the Feeding America Nationwide Network of Food Banks has volunteers gathering excess food and getting it to hungry kids. They're kind of like food angels. Yeah, I made that up. It's kind of catchy. Hello, people. This isn't rocket science. We could solve hunger today. To start, become a food angel yourself by supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. We can't do it without your help. To help solve hunger in mid-Michigan and to find your local food bank, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship available to graduating high school seniors. Find information at lcc.edu slash hope. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to Arts Connect at LCC, an arts hub of LCC events open to the entire community. Coming up, Summer Stage Under the Stars returns to LCC's Outdoor Amphitheater in the center of the downtown Lansing campus this summer with two free plays. In June, Romeo and Juliet, a contemporary take on Shakespeare's beloved tragedy. And in early August, Wiley and the Hairy Man, a family drama. Also part of Summer Stage this summer, but it'll be indoors in the Gannon Commons, is Dance Lansing the last weekend of July. These are just a few of the great things in the mix. Explore all of Lansing Community College's abundant arts activities, academic programs, and more, and experience the power of the arts to connect. Visit lcc.edu slash artsconnect for dates, times, locations, and links. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply prior credits toward their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to The Safety Plan, the show where I cover the latest cyber scam and how to avoid it on LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I'm happy that you are here. Let's do this. Now, this morning, my daughter was singing Hey Ya by Outkast, and now that song is stuck in my head. I, I guarantee you've heard it. It starts with Hey Ya, Hey Ya. You think you've got it. Oh, you think you've got it, but you got it. Just don't get it, and there's nothing at all. We get together. Oh, we get together. But my kid was singing with cybersecurity words. He, it was like this You think you've got a tax refund. Oh, you think you've got it, but you don't get it, and there's nothing at all. Obviously, the college has allowed me budgetless artistic freedom on this show, and I will take advantage of that position. So welcome to the Safety Plan Show. Here's the format. I will describe a real-world
real-world cyber scam like phishing or malware or identity theft or scareware and so forth. Second, I will explain why it could happen to you. And third, how to protect yourself so it doesn't happen to you. So why should you listen to the Safety Plan episodes? First, I want to share my cybersecurity knowledge with you so you can learn and grow from it. Second, a community knowledgeable in cyber scams will not fall for them in the future. And third, if people start practicing good cyber practices in their lives and at home, then they practice those same skills at work, which makes your business or company or local community college more secure. So win, win, win. Yes. Okay. I am Paul Schwartz and I am the LCC Director of Information Security and I coordinate security issues for the college. I've worked in cybersecurity for 27 years, including 20 years in the Air Force before ending up at LCC. And I wear a tie to work, so people think I know stuff, which proves I am smart. S-M-R-T smart. Okay, so today we're going to talk about tax return fraud. And a celebrity lawyer in Lansing, Mike Gressens, argued with me a few weekends back that a show on tax refund fraud will be as boring as, as, as eating chips on the air. So I want to do a test. First, I will eat chips on the air. Mm, how do you like this, Mike? Okay, now I will tell you about the tax return fraud and let you determine which one is more exciting. Victims of tax refund fraud usually first learn of the crime after having their returns rejected because scammers beat them to it. Even those who are not required to file a tax return can be victims of refund fraud, as are those who are not even due a refund. One of the main reasons for tax refund fraud is that it takes so little information to file a false return, just your name, the date of birth, and a social security number, which were probably stolen during the 2017 Equifax breach, or numerous breaches since then. Now, the first thing I want to talk to you about is before you file, what you need to do. And the first step is keep your eye on your information. So don't carry your social security card or other information contain your social security number with you. Don't give businesses your social security number just because they ask for it. Give it to only ones that require it. And take a look at your social security earnings statement each year. And if that number is off, you're going to need to investigate it. Two of the most common ways to steal sensitive data are dumpster diving and mail theft. Investing in a crosscut shredder and a lockable mailbox will help eliminate those risks. And finally, you need to practice good cyber hygiene. Use firewalls and antivirus software. Update your computer with security patches. Don't overshare on social media. Practice good physical protection measures and use good computer operational security. This means browsing widely, wisely, not opening unsolicited email links or attachments, not using torrent downloads, using a password manager with unique passwords. I think each one of these will probably be covered in a future episode by me. Next, do not email your W-2 or any other confidential information. Email is the equivalent of a postcard. Everyone can see it. If you must send your social security over email, you need to encrypt it with a product like 7-Zip or some other encryption like in Microsoft Office. You can also download your W-2 onto an encrypted thumb drive or to, a, say, a, a, a more secure site. Now, next, you should consider putting on a credit freeze. Now, credit freezes are free. A credit freeze allows you to restrict access to your credit report and protects your personal information. By preventing creditors from viewing your information, this prevents new lines of credit from being opened in your name, as creditors do not often extend credit without being able to view a credit report. Now, once you're ready to file an income tax return, here's the things you need to do. 
First and most important, you need to file before the fraudsters do it for you. Your primary defense against becoming the next tax income fraud victim is to file your taxes at the state and federal level as quickly as possible. Now, this year, IRS will begin accepting federal tax returns on January 24th. As soon as you have everything you need to file, don't waste any time getting the job done. Second, get an IRS IP PIN. Now, IP PIN stands for Identity Protection Personal Identification Number. Now, this is a program you can opt into, and it provides you a six-digit number uh, to help prevent the misuse of your Social Security number on fraudulent federal income tax returns. So if you have this IP PIN, this helps the IRS verify your identity, and they won't accept a paper or electronic tax return without that IP PIN. So it prevents other people from filing taxes for you. Third, use a credible tax preparer. You should be aware of tax preparation firms that claim they can obtain larger refunds than any other preparer who base their fee on a percentage of the amount of the refund. And, and they also ask consumers to sign, say, a blank tax form or they refuse to provide a, you know, prepare a tax identification number or copies of the tax returns or charge you outrageous fees. Those are all red flags on non-credible tax preparers. Fourth, now you should also watch out for tax-related companies. These are legit-looking companies that claim to be able to free consumers from tax liens or wage garnishments and levies and unbearable monthly payments, and they have upfront fees of $3,000 to $25,000. And other companies claim to be able to settle debts to the IRS for pennies on the dollar, and yet others will claim to give you an advance on your refund, but will never hand, out, hand over the balance of the money. Instead of paying big upfront fees to shady tax relief firms, consumers who have trouble paying taxes should contact the IRS or their state comptrollers directly. The IRS has a taxpayer advocate service. It's a, this is an independent office within the IRS that helps provide you know, help and advice to consumers having trouble paying their federal taxes. Consumers experiencing difficulties paying state taxes should contact the National Association of State Auditors, Comptrollers, and Treasurers. That's the NASAA. And they'll have guidance on how to help with state taxes. Next, don't use insecure Wi-Fi. Skip using that Wi-Fi at the coffee you know, house or the hotel or the fast food locations to file your taxes online. These locations are prime places for hackers to intercept and steal your personal information. Next, use direct deposit for refunds. It is recommended that you use the option of getting your refund via direct deposit versus a check so criminals can't have it redirected to their address or steal it from your mailbox. And finally, keep your eye on your information. I know I've talked about that before, but it's so important. Do not leave your tax returns or any of the key paperwork in your car or on your kitchen counter or on the top of the de desk at home, so forth. So how do you tell if you're a victim of tax fraud? So here's the steps. First, again, keep your eyes wide open. You need to be alert when you see information that doesn't make sense, such as a rejection notification from the IRS stating that you have already filed a return. Next, regularly request a free copy of your credit report. Be aware that the bank and investment and credit accounts. Be aware of your accounts and what the numbers are and the balances. Identity thieves will open new accounts under your name and have the bills sent to them and spend the money without your consent. By law, consumers are entitled to a free copy of their credit report from each of the major bureaus once a year. So put it on your calendar to request a copy of your file every three to four months, each time from a different credit bureau. And then you should dispute any unauthorized or suspicious activity. 
Now, next, the IRS will never call or email you. Be on the lookout for phishing phone calls or emails from the fake IRS. The email may even have a realistic-looking sender address, but it's not from the IRS. and probably contains, you know, if it's an email with an attachment or a link, it's probably it probably is full of malware. If you have any doubt whether a, a contact from the IRS is authentic, you can call the IRS customer service. And finally, if you think you're a victim of tax return fraud, you should contact the IRS. If you receive a notice from the IRS that leads you to believe that someone has used your Social Security number fraudulently, contact the IRS immediately. Okay, so now once you know you are the victim of tax return fraud, here's the things you can do. First, file form 14039. And this is the identity theft affidavit that formally reports fraud to the IRS. Once they get this form, the IRS will issue you that IP pin. That's the identity protection pin if you don't already have one. And then when you have this IP pin, the fraudsters won't be able to, you know, submit a tax return in your name. Next, file form 4506. And this is um, the form that tells you whether a person's already filed a tax refund in your name. It, it, it costs about $50 and it gets you a copy of that return. And now this information can be shared with your local police who may be able to use it to track down the people who stole your tax refund. And finally, get free credit reports uh, from the bureaus. Monitor and freeze your credit report. Like I mentioned earlier, a credit freeze allows you to restrict access to your credit report and protects your personal information. That's a wrap of today's Safety Plan episode. If you have questions or have been a victim of a cyber scam, tell me about it by emailing lccinfosec at lcc.edu. You can find more info at lcc.edu connect. This episode of the Safety Plan was recorded by Paul Schwartz in the TLC Tower in downtown Lansing Community College and produced by Lane Ingram and engineered by Big D Dedalian. I'm Paul Schwartz and this is LCC Connect. So long. Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College is proud to present We're Better Than That, an anti-bigotry campaign. Embracing diversity is a continuing process, one that requires honesty, cooperation, and meaningful conversations. At Lansing Community College, we understand our journey towards inclusion and equity begins with an examination of how we relate to one another and a pledge to engage in the work necessary for meaningful progress to facilitate conversations and initiatives that will combat racism and hate speech in our college community. The Office of Diversity and Inclusion has partnered with the Office of Police and Public Safety to create We're Better Than That a comprehensive campaign to combat institutional bias and racism. To find out more about We're Better Than That, visit lcc.edu. Do you worry about how much someone else drinks? Do you ever ride in a car with a driver who has been drinking? Do you think if the drinker stopped drinking, your other problems would be solved? 
Al-Anon family groups are for relatives and friends who have been affected by someone else's drinking. In Al-Anon, people who have experienced the same kind of chaos and confusion in their lives will share what works for them. They will offer suggestions and support without telling anyone what to do. There is anonymity, confidentiality, and safety in Al-Anon family groups, and there is hope for a peaceful way of life. Are you troubled by someone else's drinking? You might be surprised at what you could learn in an Al-Anon family group from people just like you. For more information, go to alanon.org or call 1-888-4-ALANON to find an Al-Anon meeting near you. The West Campus Technical Careers Division at Lansing Community College is currently hiring for faculty, student, and support positions. A hiring fair will take place Tuesday, June 21st from 5 to 7 p.m. at LCC's West Campus located on Cornerstone Drive. To find out how to register, apply, or get more details, visit lcc.edu careers. That's lcc.edu careers. LCC, Connect, Voices, Vibes, Vision. You're listening to Art Happens Here, the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. Well, I'm welcoming back um, the program chair of our art and design program, uh, Professor Brian Bishop, who has contributed widely to the beautification of Lansing Community College's campuses. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Yeah, we've had some talk, and uh, today I'd like to explore some of these, uh, two of that that I know of, uh, the uh, the large metal installations uh, that adorn, I think one is on the Cannon Building, and then there's another one on the other side of Carnegie UC. Um, I'm going to let you take it from here a little bit. I don't have any specific questions other than to the listeners. They're very colorful. They're very eye-catching, and they're in line with his other work. They have a very timeless quality. So what was your process? Well, on both of them, the process was, first of all, uh, Dr. Knight uh, indicated where he wanted the work to be. And so the one on the, the Gannon wall was fairly easy to work with because it was just a big brick wall and I didn't really have to worry too much about you know wind or anything like that Mm -hmm. and so that one started off and that one is well the two those two big ones are my favorites I, I I have a hard time choosing between the two of them that one was one that was called portal and it was it ended up being like a door inside a door inside a door conceptually for me but it took me a long time to get there. And this is built on two levels. There's a uh, 10 foot by 10 foot background. It's actually two five by 10 panels put together. And then there's a four by eight that sits centered on that. And the design works so that it reads like it just passes through. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it really was more of uh, just a door in a door in a door and you could kind of just keep going back have a little shape up at the upper could be a tree Mm -hmm. because we were right by the park over there 
And the whole concept came up. I really didn't know what I was going to do when I started with that. Mm-hmm. And I had looked at, I was thinking about sales, my original, uh, as in sailboats. Mm-hmm. And my thought was to do just these big, huge sail-shaped things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you know, the Viking journey and sure. or whatever. And uh, it was a little too, uh, a little too much for Dr. Knight's taste. Uh, and it was a little out there, but anyway, it was mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we kind of got back down to more of the geometry of things and I made like over 10 to 12 pretty good prototypes mm-hmm. of this that I then presented to Dr. Knight and a few of the other people he had working with him on this and it was like yep that's it let's go mm-hmm. so then uh, I had to select the colors and we went with auto body paint yeah uh, because it would last it would it would withstand sun the winter uh, well, better than most. And so uh, we managed to get that done, and it was commercially painted, and it was fabricated, and it came back. And one day I get an email from Dr. Knight, and he says, it's up. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I was like, what's up? Like, oh! Yeah. <laughs> Go yeah. running down there. Yeah. And, oh, it was it was so fantastic to see it in person because I never – I didn't think it would look that as, as good as it did to me. Yeah. Well, you answered one of my next questions was whether that was professionally painted that you maybe did the art on a computer and handed off or that you were with a spray yeah. can and tape and so Oh, no, no, that was professionally done. The, the process on that was uh, we had the design and that was done digitally. And then I hand drew, uh, the spec drawings for the, the designer, the, the builders. So there was a, it was three panels and that fabrication, I, just kind of gave a brief indication of what you could do, and it's just bent, bent metal. Uh, and then for the painters, they indicated what colors needed to be where, and kind of drew that out for them so they could mask it and put dimensions on it so they had all their their scales and everything, and it worked worked great. Sure, sure. Well, one clarification I want to make to anyone who's not familiar with Dr. Knight, uh, Brian's referring to uh, Dr. Brent Knight, uh, President Emeritus of Lansing Community College for maybe 16 years, I should have the stat in front of me. Um, Dr. Knight was brought on board as a marketing guru, and much of that translated into placemaking, and which translated into campus beautification and elevating our uh, value proposition, if you want to hear a buzzword that's often com- commonly used in marketing. Um, so he would typically bring you know, bring people in that were already part of, of the teams here, and he would plant a seed. And, or he would strike a match, and then he would sit back and, and just let us do our thing. And it was very, very uh, otherworldly at the beginning, but it was, it was wonderful. So one thing that did strike me coming down Grand Avenue in this bleak time, and we're recording this in late February, mid-February, where everything is a single color outside, you know, driving up and, and seeing that there, you know, it just that, that those bright colors just coming to life, it's uplifting. You know, there's no other way to, there's no other word I can think of to, to, you know, to attach to that. Well, the one over on the other side of Carnegie is a bit bigger. Yes, that is uh, 16 panels. I think they were four by five foot each. Uh, That one presented some engineering uh, problems in that the, the, what we were going to put it on was basically just an open meshed, uh, aluminum uh, 
barrier. It was put up there to, to so you weren't seeing some very ugly mechanical equipment that was sitting outside. Right, right, right. Camouflage, and, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. it was just kind of up there, and, and uh, Dr. Knight thought that that should have something on it. And the problem was is if we did it with just one or two solid pieces, because the wind can whip through that thing, mm-hmm. it would become a sail. And I don't care how well we attached it. If you got a good enough wind, it was going to leave. Yeah. Uh, so we had. I had to work with a, a design concept that I could put in in pieces. And I I did a number of designs. I had a waterfall out there for a while that was just metal coming down, yeah. and uh, it just didn't. It wasn't right. Yeah. And uh, we went back and forth. For a good month, and I I made so many different different concepts uh, and drawings for him, and we and I didn't feel that good about him either. And it's an interesting point of how this one came about. On uh, the day after the election in 2016, I'm not going to be political, but the day after I came into uh, school, I had an eight o'clock class, and there was this one young man just dejected and moping and almost in tears sitting on the bench in front of my classroom. It wasn't in my class. And I didn't know him. And he was just like, he just opened up to me about how unhappy he was with the situation. And mm-hmm. I just, I said to him at the time, eh, I've seen a lot of these. It really doesn't matter. It, it'll all be good. <laughs> you know, just trying to be kind to him. Mm-hmm. And then I was, after class, I started thinking about that. And it's like, mm-hmm, there's my theme there. That the the idea of, of this being on the the old Carnegie Library, yeah, uh, the the idea that knowledge is is everything that knowledge and especially in an educational institution, mm-hmm. we represent what is good, we represent what is right, and knowledge doesn't knowledge changes, but the fact that truth is is truth. Truth is truth. You and can't. Doesn't science change. doesn't. Science doesn't change with your opinion. Right. Yeah, and so it it became the uh, and all of a sudden it was like yep sunrise sunset mm-hmm. yep and so the 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 piece's name the full long name is sunrise sunset a mountain does not move I love it and it was really about that you know sun's coming up tomorrow yeah. moon's coming up the buildings may not be here mm-hmm. but the the thoughts that are encased or were encased in that building remain it'll right. be all right. Yeah, that's true. Now, you never thought you'd get a mechanical engineering degree, did you? No. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's no. interesting. No. I, I I thought I was going to be an engineer until I got, yeah. I got my first touch of trigonometry, and that, pretty, <laughs> that changed right. everything. Right. Yeah, these works, it's worth mentioning. I mean, they're all one-offs. It starts out as an idea, and then you have to figure it out. I mean, one of our other sculptures that, you know, this thing was way beyond the proportion of our previous experience and it was handed off to an uh, architecture firm and I remember the architect telling me they had to factor in if a 200 pound man were to climb up to the top of one of the parts of the sculpture and wave it back and forth that it wouldn't break 35 feet off the ground I mean you have to think that way you know Uh, so yeah it's all different and it's all good and uh, things do change but that one of the things is they say the same too and knowledge Knowledge is a big deal. Education's a big deal. Um, yeah, I came here, and uh, I remember I struggled when I first came here from from the agency side of things, and struggled with 
the time and getting developing a new rhythm to how I worked. You know, and I remember a friend of mine saying, you know, at least you're doing something that matters. You're not making money for some guy out on a golf course like me. So that's when it all like came into focus for me. So um, anything else? Do you have any other metal up anywhere else? Uh, Well, there's a few pieces on Die Bond beyond the, uh, their interior pieces beyond the one in the uh, commons. One is in a stairwell coming up to the second floor in Gannon to, uh, and that was one that, uh, it's okay. It's not one of my favorites, but it was kind of, one of those things. Sometimes Dr. Knight had an idea, mm-hmm. and sometimes he didn't. Truly. And you got your own, you, you did your own thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it it worked. But it uh, I, it's it doesn't have good lighting and everything. So it's, you know, it's kind of, yeah. eh. You're too hard on yourself. You, <laughs> you know, I was going to tell you before our interviews, you need to take it easy on yourself. All right. Well, I yeah, I, I do have a tendency to be a little hard on myself. But, you know, that it... Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. great artists. And if you're your own worst critic, then the world can take a hike, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I listen, um, again, it's been remarkably cool talking to you and, and going over this. And I, I can tell we need to be out pouring a drink and talking yeah. more about artwork in the future. Yeah. Because uh, I'm specifically curious about the teaching end of it and sending, sending young creatives out into the world equipped with the knowledge that you pass on to them, yeah. which, is, would, which would really... One more question, I guess, before we, we part is uh, legacy. Um, how do you feel about legacy and what what you're leaving behind and what may be hanging, will be hanging 50 years from now and how it affects people then? I, I try not to think about it too much on the artwork side because, again, I am my worst critic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, if, if it's still up, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, the legacy... That I, I that I I'm thinking of taking forward is I've taught for over thirty years here, and I don't I certainly didn't reach every student that I taught, but I know that I've I've touched a few mm-hmm. that uh, were able to take it and and become professional artists and 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 good ones in their own right. That's amazing. Um, but there's also the the people who really never you know they're just taking you know, a drawing class for fun. Yeah. And just all of a sudden you connect them with something and it takes them a little bit outside of where they were mm-hmm. or it provides them uh, just a different viewpoint on things and it changes the way they think. Mm-hmm. And hopefully for the better, sometimes maybe not, I don't know. But mm-hmm. that's that's the thing I think that, that leaving behind that I, I can feel pretty good about. Good. Um, yeah, for sure. There's a quote somewhere on the on the power and value of creative endeavor, and I wish I could cite it because it would be perfect to drop in here right now. So, well, listen, sir, Professor Brian Bishop, it's been a pleasure and an honor talking to you, and uh, I hope you can come back and talk to us in the future. I would be happy to do so. Thank you, Bruce. I really appreciate it. Wonderful. Julia Cameron once said, the creative process is a process of surrender, not control. If you want to check out what I've been talking about, just visit this episode at lccconnect.org. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. Thanks for lending us your imagination.
This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.